Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Joan was easy to track down. It was one of the things Noah had always appreciated about her. When he called or texted, she wouldn't leave him hanging for hours and hours without explanation. She either replied pretty quickly or... When she was delayed, she would offer an explanation. Sorry, I was running errands, or, oh man, I took a little surprise nap there. And then reply, or at least say, I'll check in soon. In this case, Noah didn't want to plan a big date night, but he also didn't want to pitch doom and gloom before they even got to talk. So he just texted her on Friday afternoon from his desk at work. Hey, come over tonight? Let's order in. Three minutes later, his phone buzzed with the reply, Italian, I know your order. Be there at seven. He thumbs up her text done and done. Noah now had to wrestle with how he was going to handle things. There was always the temptation to try to script things out a bit, to lay out a game plan for what he wanted to say and how he'd try to say it. Should I write out a letter? Could I even start by just reading it aloud to her or handing it to her? Noah thought. No, that's too odd. I want to try to put this all out there to her, but that's probably too impersonal, too transactional. Noah sighed a bit at his desk. A couple more hours and I'm done with work for the week. I know I want to describe these prayer experiences, describe the paths it's shown me for myself, be honest about what it might mean for us and for my dating. And I think I just need to trust that it will follow in the same vein as my other experiences, Noah acknowledged mentally. In a weird way, this might actually be another prayerish experience of a potential path. Just this one is happening fully in reality. But this one might feel more like the lonesome night in the park than the bright dirt roads with Jesus. Noah plugged along through the last few hours of work and headed out 10 minutes after 5 p.m. That morning, he had gone slow getting out of bed, skipped a shower, and just barely made himself presentable for the office. When he got home that evening, he decided to redeem himself with a hot, gratuitously long shower. It freshened him up. It calmed the tinge of nerves he was feeling. It gave him a moment to think in broad strokes and preempted him from composing an outline. Fresh and clean, Noah sat down on the couch with a sports talk show on the TV, his feet on the coffee table, and some very mindless scrolling on his phone. 
Come 7 p.m., Joan arrived promptly, replete with food bags that smelled of oregano and basil. Together they unpacked and carefully arranged the plastic clamshells to set forth their modest feast. Noah cut apart cheesy bites of a healthily parmesan chicken that he spun into rolls of spaghetti. Joan adeptly threaded the tines of her fork through tubes of pasta in a steaming helping of baked ziti. Noah asked her about her day, and he enjoyed hearing about the often mundane but understatedly tactful and professional ways that Joan diffused workplace disputes and assisted co-workers with utilizing their benefits. Today, Joan described talking a nervous new mother through the paid leave benefit and preparing her for the life change that was now just six months away. Noah found this story a particularly shining example of Joan's compassion and skill. As they neared the end of their sprint through the pasta, Joan asked about Noah's day. Not wanting to tangent too sharply away from the topics he imagined, Noah did his usual reductive reply, glossing over the details of what he ruled to be uninteresting job duties and appraising his day as fine. He then decided to close up shop on his chicken parm, having eaten about two-thirds of it. Joan was also happy to call it a day, shy of the halfway point with her dish, glad to secure a weekend leftover. So, what do you want to talk about, Joan asked, as she grabbed the two shuttered meals, stacked them up, and rose to carry them to the refrigerator. Noah was a bit surprised. Does she know I want to talk-talk, or is she just assuming we have things to talk about? She is something, in a good way. We should have beer. Let's grab a couple beers, Noah asked aloud. Before even verbally affirming the idea, Joan shot up and grabbed a couple craft cans of a citrusy summer wheat and brought them back to the couch with her. She handed one to Noah as she sat down. They each cracked their cans open and clinked to cheers. Noah sipped in some refreshment and tried to will his courage and conviction to the surface. A bit to his surprise, he didn't really feel nervous or scared or unsure. He just started talking. Joan, it's my prayer life. It might seem weird for my prayer life to potentially impact upon you, but it's my prayer life. I've been praying better than I ever have before. I'm finding amazing things with God that are leaving me a little all over the place. But it's also making me feel more settled than I've ever really been able to be, Noah started. They were sitting on the couch. Noah was facing forward while he talked, kind of alternating between staring at his beer can in the wall and TV in front of him, only looking over at Joan intermittently. Joan decided to settle in and get comfortable. She pulled her legs in and underneath her to sit cross-legged, turning sideways on the couch to face toward Noah. Joan left him a half-couch cushion of space, a little buffer room to help him talk through things. It essentially started at the monastery, on that retreat back in January, Noah continued. I don't know still how exactly to describe it, but it's like I was able to listen to God more intently than I ever have before. The first night we were sitting in the monastery church after the prayers had concluded for the day, we went up to the loft and did a guided evening meditation. I don't know if it was the dark of the church. I don't know if it was the holiness of being around the monks and joining their prayer. I don't know if it was the way Father Ambrose guided us. Noah was slowing down. It wasn't that he couldn't detail the events. He had reviewed it enough in his head to remember it just about inside out. But he was going to have to try to describe what he heard and saw and he wasn't sure how to do that for Joan, or how she might react or struggle to understand it. He had a twinge of doubt about how to package it. Hey, Joan cut in, reaching out to set her hand on his kneecap. Just talk. You don't have to be worried. I'll keep up, she insisted. She was looking at him with raised eyebrows, tilting her chin down a bit to try to hit him with a laser beam of reassurance. She left her hand on his knee a beat 
to seal him in her support, and then leaned back into her sitting position. It wasn't a dramatic or ostentatious gesture. Joan simply tried to reset him to his natural monologue. Noah breathed in that moment, and then launched into his story. He took her from the voice of God in the loft to the encounter with Christ the next morning. He brought her to the young adult hall, the food pantry, and the destitution he found in the park. He brought her on his chat with Father C., and then to adoration and parish ministry, as well as to say prayer and politics. Joan was attentive, if quiet. She asked a minor follow-up question here and there, interrupted to get a bit of clarity or sharpness by another question, but mostly, she just listened. And then Noah made it to his hike from last week. Oh, that's right. You went on that hike. How was it? Was that hike, uh... Joan stopped. She wasn't sure what to call these experiences or episodes. Based on Noah's sharing so far, it felt like he didn't quite have a label for them either. Noah wasn't waiting for her to finish, but he could tell she didn't have a definite way to end the question. She simply yielded the floor back to him. That's the thing. Most of the time, it comes down to finding myself in a good place for prayer and gradually settling into it. Then something materializes, like my imagination seizes upon some potentiality and shows me this immersive thing, I think. Earlier on, I'd try to push and press to get there. Then over time, I realized that when I chill out and just respond to opportunities and suggestions, like you telling me to track down Father C., then I find greater prayer. So I've gotten to a point where I can just get this organic urge to go on a hike and take quiet time to myself and not be worried about what will or won't happen in prayer, Noah explained. And so this time, nothing like that happened. There was no vivid, colorful experience of some possible life path. But it's not that nothing happened. It was just me on a stone slab, staring at a forest and at trees, thinking, praying, and the little meditative glimpses, they didn't feel any less important, even if they were more like, I don't know, like imagined video clips I pursued more so than like those more full-fledged experiential times have been. Noah was still feeling good, still comfortable and secure in letting loose the honest telling of where he had been and where he was going. But now, even as the self-confidence in relating his experience endured, he also started to feel the potential discomfort that sharing this last part could cause for Joan and for their relationship. I had done a lot of thinking and praying and experiencing of things I could do for a living, or things I could do to live out my faith differently. I hadn't intentionally directed much attention at my state of life, like if I imagined going from being unmarried to maybe getting married and having a family someday, Noah admitted. Joan was hanging in there, listening intently. She was looking neither fascinated nor bored. She was just following along with open ears. I caught these little glimpses, but they were different. They felt incomplete. They were somewhat uncompelling, and I felt like it was true, Noah admitted. He took a breath. I think the simplest way to explain it, a way that isn't easy, is that I haven't had those thoughts for us. It's been over a year and it's been a fun, happy year, and I enjoy you and your company and appreciate spending time with you, but if that's what I'm thinking or not thinking, it doesn't feel fair to keep that from you, Noah said. He decided this would be a good moment to let his words breathe, to leave space for Joan to process or ask a question or take the floor herself. Joan was still facing toward him. Noah was mostly facing forward looking a bit downward, trying not to influence Joan with any sort of look. His feelings for her, and his feelings about his feelings, hadn't changed. 
but his human heart felt the weight of sharing something with someone that might crush that person, or at least wing her a bit. Even if he didn't think he would fall in love with her, Noah still cared for her. Joan was curling her lips, sort of chewing on the fresh thoughts. Well, it would not have been fair to keep that from me, so thank you for sharing it, Joan started. She took a few beats, trying to pin down her next topic sentence. She was sort of chewing on the idea as her mouth fidgeted. Her tone started out a bit more clinical, more akin to a debate club argument than to a heart-to-heart conversation. Noah and Joan hadn't often delved deep into these sorts of conversations, so it was fairly uncharted territory. But they were continuing on well enough. Joan wasn't getting emotional, she was remaining analytical. Not quite cold, but not real warm either. I'll return you the same honesty you're now finally offering me, Joan started, betraying a modicum of frustration. I will admit that it would have been nice to hear you say, I love you, or to indicate some level of seriousness with our relationship. But I wasn't really ready to say I love you either, and I'm not particularly itching to move in with you or anything. So while some people might like that, it wouldn't have been fair to expect it if I wasn't going to be offering it either. Noah nodded along. He wasn't looking to convince her of anything or to be exonerated of anything. He was just trying to be more forthcoming and honest, but it still felt good not to be scolded or yelled at right after burying a bigger chunk of his soul. That said, Joan continued, it does hurt that, even if you don't feel particularly serious about our relationship, that you wouldn't trust me more of this stuff sooner. We hang out enough, we talk enough, I feel like you could have brought it up at least a little bit more before now. Noah waited. He was tempted to jump in with the start of an apology, but he wasn't sure if she was collecting her thoughts or just ending that thought on a dangling idea. After a moment, he offered his reply. That is totally fair, and I struggled a lot with how to describe what I was experiencing, who to talk with, how personal and private I should keep it, but to hold it entirely back from you was too much. I'm sorry about doing that, and I didn't want to do that anymore, Noah admitted, but I do feel like at least a time or two. I started to try to go in this direction, to talk my way toward sharing more of this, and you didn't seem interested, he added. Joan was keeping her cool. She was not going to make this an argument. She wanted it to be a conversation. Joan was feeling feelings for sure now, but she didn't want to escalate the dynamic to a place where they couldn't talk clearly to each other and listen clearly to each other. Internally, she acknowledged the bits of anger and sadness and didn't pretend she hadn't been hurt. Then she went on replying in a measured, authentic tone. If that's how I came off, I'm sorry about that. But first of all, I definitely would have been interested, Joan said, in a tone just shy of an exclamation point. And secondly, oh man, she stalled a second, breaking into a slightly nervous smile, one of mild disbelief. I mean, I don't think you respect my faith. I think you look down your nose at me about it. Noah very specifically decided not to jump in here. It was quickly clear that the way he had carried himself had hurt her, and he fought back his urge to explain more right then, for fear he'd try to defend himself or rationalize how he treated her. What was important to him in the moment wasn't so much whether or not he did that to her, and whether or not it was right. Rather, he needed to confront that he hurt her feelings by how he acted. You have such a sturdy and consistent faith. You always go to mass, you always try to invite me to come with you, You go on retreats, you do service, you wear a volunteer at the border, you wear it on your sleeve, which is great, but it's not the only way. I'll be the first to admit that I'm not a poster girl for the church. I'm not registered at the parish. I rarely give my money or time to anything. I'm not at mass every week. 
I have a lot of room left to grow, but I believe in it. I believe in the Eucharist. I believe in reconciliation. I believe in the body of Christ around me in the church, in the world. I believe Jesus gave us an example of how to treat each other and how to act justly. I just hold the beliefs a little more quietly than you do, and I've never found the confidence or outlets that you have. So yeah, sometimes I don't make a point of going to Mass, and I don't get as proactive in my faith. And I would admit that's far from perfect, but I don't know if you even see what I do have, and that's what hurts me, Joan explained. Noah felt just about small enough to hide inside a chalice. He really enjoyed seeing the side of Joan and hearing where she was coming from. Why did it take this long for me to have a conversation like this with her, Noah wondered to himself. How did I not realize that I was the problem? How did I let my faithfulness become a hurdle to the growth of someone else's? I mean, I don't want to water down what I believe or practice it less consistently, but if this is how she feels, then clearly I need to go back to the drawing board a bit with how I carry myself. After taking that mental beat, Noah felt he could now respond. That's really shitty of me. And really shitty for you, Noah admitted. I'm sorry I've had this negative impact on you and your faith. That's never what I would have wanted, and I hope you know that. I'm sorry that it happened that way. Noah stopped it there. Apologies need to be direct and relevant. Rambling on makes a person start to rationalize or excuse themselves. He needed to avoid that. Thank you, Jones said. I forgive you. And I know that if I had greater commitment or stronger motivation, I might have handled it better. But even still, I just didn't feel like I could share faith with you on your level. Anyway, I kind of wondered if something was going on with you in this area anyway. You just seemed more active and more involved these past few months, and it sort of came out of nowhere and snowballed pretty big. It didn't seem random. Yeah, I mean it wasn't, Noah agreed, raising his eyebrows. The longer it's gone, the more I've seen the arc of it all fitting together. And that includes acknowledging that you were the one who pointed me to Father C., and that's an example of your faith and your insight and your care. But then to realize that I didn't have deeper, more serious elements in my heart about us, and that I didn't see much when I reflected on a future of marriage or family life, that was a whole nother side of the coin. Noah looked off into the air between him and the far wall. Noah held her perpendicular position, kind of staring past Noah's profile. Joan let out a shallow, slow breath. She furrowed her brow and scrunched her face a bit to think, almost bracing against her thought. Joan wasn't sad or angry at this juncture. She was just aware of herself and her boyfriend. So I guess then this has to be it, Joan said. They sat on that thought for a good moment, loitering in the tenuous quiet. Noah then turned to face her, rather than letting his distant stare make him seem distant. Joan talked first. Maybe any one of these things, deep personal prayer on one's own, struggles about getting serious, doubts about a future together, career and life and personal discernment uncertainties, could be handled on its own. Maybe tackling one of those things might have even given us a way to grow closer, but I don't think there's a path for us to share all this and tackle all this in this relationship, Joan added. Noah couldn't really quibble with that. It was fair, accurate. The thought of not being with Joan definitely bummed him out. He really enjoyed her company, so it did make him somewhat sad to think he may not be seeing her so much anymore. Yet keeping the tone of listening and conversation that Joan had set, he was able to stay collected enough to see and listen clearly. And as he listened to Joan deliver difficult but thoughtful direct comments, 
He saw her anew. It was as if there was his girlfriend from before who was now leaving, and in her place a wise platonic friend, one whose inner wisdom of her own he now saw in greater fullness. For the moment, the hurt of this collapse was displaced by a newfound admiration. I respect that, Noah agreed. A lot, actually. I think my regrets that I'll have to live with, that I'll have to process, are that I hurt you, and that I didn't give you the full opportunity to be yourself and walk more closely with me. I can tell now how I blew that, and the weight of that is going to hit me more and more over time. Noah was still looking at her, and managed to deliver this reply directly to her. Joan reciprocated the eye contact intermittently, looking away to hide bits of bashfulness. Noah wasn't trying to soften her up to change her mind, and Joan wasn't having second thoughts, but they were finding the very first small foundation stones of a new dynamic, one that was much healthier. If you're willing, I would enjoy staying in touch. Maybe meet up for a coffee, Noah asked. He knew a lot of people said this in the fallout of a breakup. He knew that often it was a way to live in denial of the reality that you were no longer romantically with someone. That wasn't what he was trying to do here. In a weird way, breaking up delivered a modicum of clarity to see her properly. And he thought Joan knew that too. Normally, I would say that isn't smart, Joan admitted. But in this case... Maybe it could actually work. But we need a week or two first to let ourselves settle and find a new normal. But yeah, text me in a couple weeks. Thank you, Noah replied. This might seem sort of silly to say in light of the uh, very accurate appraisal you just offered me of our relationship, but I think I'm realizing the positive influence you can have on me. I think I always saw it in how you carried yourself and how you talked about your work, but then there's this personal example of faith I never let myself see. You are a different and worthwhile witness to living one's beliefs, and your way of understanding me could help me continue to understand myself and my prayer. Your ability to receive me charitably and with fun and laughter would help me continue to grow, and if there's something I can do to help or support you, I'd love, uh, I'd enjoy the chance to be there for you. Sorry if this came off condescending. It wasn't meant to. That's one of the things I need to keep learning. I'll be working on it. Noah got a little bashful, knowing he was totally guilty of what he hoped to avoid. Joan chuckled. She wasn't skeptical of Noah's authenticity, but she needed a little time before making any subsequent decisions about things. For now, she nodded in acknowledgement, as if to deposit the thoughts into a short-term savings account and see what interest grew. Okay, well, on that note, I think I'm going to head out, Joan said. She stood up unceremoniously from the couch and went to the kitchen. Joan grabbed her leftover from the fridge, picked up her bag, and reached in for her keys. Noah got up and headed to the door, which he unlocked and opened for her. She came his direction slowly with a slightly aimless look on her face. His mouth curled into a small smile, and they shared an earnest hug. After Joan pulled away and looked up at him with the same smile one last time, and then she left. Noah watched her walk down the apartment hallway for a second. Then he went to the fridge to grab a second beer. He cracked it open with a clumsy pop. Now fresh beer in hand, he went to plop down on the couch, not sure what to do next. As he scanned around the apartment, he noticed something. The door was ajar. Noah laughed, thinking how absent-minded he was in that exceptionally unusual moment. So as he got up to walk back over there, he thought, I guess I left the door open. And he popped up to decisively close the door.
So part of the life experience behind this chapter is that I, in my life, throughout high school and college, had the pleasure of being dumped many a time. And many times it happened through uh, some kind of cliche or line or very brief um, encounter that left a lot of questions unanswered and left me feeling with a lot of self-doubt and a lack of confidence. Um, And then there was also the last time I was dumped that left me feeling like I had made a clear mistake, but also was an example of a time where the person who broke up with me would have been much better off if they had just made a clean break and kind of cut me out of her social life and given me no option to have any social time with her. Because in retrospect, I think what happened to me then was that I became not clinically, but in a way sort of a depressive in in that I could not get past it mentally and emotionally. And I would have times where I would kind of relapse into like really serious self-doubts and rehashing out key moments and conversations from the past that were not going to change. But that's all to say that When it comes to successful romantic relationships and people who are together for a long time and perhaps get married um, and start families, I'm a big believer in friendships being at the heart of romantic committed relationships. Um, I am someone who benefited from that pathway. I was friends with my wife for a year and a half before we started dating. And I think that it's that period of friendship that gave us kind of a fundamental foundational understanding of each other that then became a really strong bedrock for the romantic committed relationship and eventually the marriage and family life that we've built together over the last 11 years. And so I think there's something to the spark of, you know, a love at first sight sort of thing or getting introduced to someone by friends at a bar or social event. And there's certainly a lot of healthy, strong relationships that come from there. But I always encourage people to try to be friends with someone first and to build romance on top of that. The funny thing is, I think that the flip of that can be true. And I offer myself as a counterexample, thinking that my last unsuccessful relationship would have been a good example of completely getting broken out of that person's life. But I think there's a lot of times where if people can be honest with each other in the dissolution of a romantic relationship, they can see in each other and in what they shared and learned about each other, a pathway to have a healthy relationship. If they can acknowledge that the romantic component of their relationship needs to be over and they can then continue to receive each other as people and offer advice and accompaniment as they continue on in other pathways of their life. I think there's also other times we can probably look around our social lives and see people who maybe we at one point had feelings for or one point um, wondered romantically about, even if briefly, and then kind of settled into like, no, this person is a friend and I really value them as a friend and I don't see them in that way or want to pursue them in that way. I think there are times too where our unsuccessful romantic relationships can show us a connection we have with someone that can be really functional and really life-giving as a platonic, non-romantic relationship. So I always kind of hope that people can enjoy a glass of wine or a box of popcorn to a rom-com movie or to a soap opera romance, but then can kind of step back and move back into more realistic understandings of relationship in which we can acknowledge that there are times when the level of hurt or the toxicity of a relationship merits two people becoming completely disconnected and sort of leaving each other's social lives 
entirely, but to maybe acknowledge that there are other times where, even if a romantic relationship is unsuccessful, that the underlying connection that was there can be rehabilitated and utilized in a positive way through just a normal friendship. I think it's part of what goes into religious life as well, is that I think sometimes we think of chaste celibate priests and brothers and sisters and monks and nuns as being like asexual. But what I've learned in working in vocation ministry and learning about best practices for accompanying men and women in discernment, it's that asexual people can actually be dangerous because it often is the fruit of repression or whether a self-repression or repression through relationships and social life that can be short-lived and can turn back into a vice or a, a, a broken free habit. In reality, people who are living their chastity as celibate people, the healthiest thing is integrated sexuality, to be aware that you have a physical body that is an expression of who you are and how you love, but to acknowledge the healthy ways in which you can live out that sexuality in a non-sexually uh, active way. There are still ways to show affection, whether through conversations and time spent together, uh, to acknowledge that intimacy can happen in non-sexual ways, and to acknowledge boundaries that have to exist to protect your chaste celibacy, such that your friendships can't happen in the same way that relationships happen for people who don't live that lifestyle. And so when it comes to priests and brothers and sisters living their religious life or priesthood well, it comes from sexual integration, which acknowledges that you don't compartmentalize away any part of yourself, but you maintain and commit to right relationships and healthy connections with other people, men, women, young, old, in ways that acknowledge boundaries and share yourself authentically, but with legitimate boundaries and limitations, such that your primary focus is giving yourself to God and the church. And so I hope this chapter kind of becomes uh, a bit of a broader reflection point for healthy relationship, for integrated sexuality, and for not compartmentalizing things away such that we can't have healthy, right relationship with anyone and everyone who is meaningful to us and who is a part of our lives. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.